Hello, my name is Susan O'Keefe, and I am honored to be on the Pastoral Effect Podcast. Welcome to the Pastoral Effect Podcast. This podcast sits at the intersection of theology, spirituality, and pastoral concern. It seeks to celebrate pastoral moments that challenge and transform everyone involved in the encounter. Hence the title, Pastoral Effect. I'm your host, Leanne Davis. Thank you for listening. Welcome to this episode of the Pastoral Effect podcast, where I had the distinct pleasure of interviewing Susan O'Keefe, chaplaincy leader in the Hamilton region. And this interview, which really was more like a conversation, is a masterclass in chaplaincy. As I was editing this episode, I was drawn back to a resource that was published some time ago by the Ontario Catholic Trustee Association called Building Bethlehem Everywhere, where it talked about that the whole world is suffused with the mystery of God and that the world is capable of revealing the mystery of God. But more importantly, the God immersed in mystery awakens our hope for the encounter. And this is where my conversation meanders with Susan O'Keefe. I thoroughly enjoyed how Sue described all of her encounters with her students, both spontaneous and deliberate, creative, pastoral moments where she meets the students just where they are. And I was just edified and blessed to hear about her ministry and how she looks for God in her community and among her students and finds great hope. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed this conversation. And I thank you very much for listening to the Pastoral Effect Podcast. Sue, thank you for joining me for this conversation. I've just been enjoying talking to chaplains in my own area, and now I'm casting the net wider and talking to chaplains throughout the province. And uh, I find each conversation edifying and just gives a a lift to my, my, my step um, in chaplaincy each time. So I'm already looking forward to tonight. No pressure. Thank you, Leanne. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Sue, you've been in chaplaincy for how many years? I was trying to think about that. Okay. Thing, actually, Leanne. So I started off teaching. I started teaching religion in 1997 okay. and moved into chaplaincy, I believe, 2004. Okay. So 19 years. 19 20, years in chaplaincy. And you and you're in the and you're in Hamilton. I'm in Hamilton. I began my career in Dufferin Peel and then moved to Hamilton in 1999. So the first question, and, and I've been getting some good, interesting feedback for, from people who are really enjoying this first question. Um, often people, you know, wonder who we are and where we've come from. And so the first question that I ask every time is, what was the religious or spiritual background of your childhood? Because sometimes that comes into play in, in, in different ways and can be quite significant. And it was very significant for me in my own journey. So both my parents are from Newfoundland, uh, but I was born here in Ontario. They emigrated here in the 1960s. So grew up in a very uh, Catholic family. Right, right. Um, my grandmother prayed the rosary daily. And I have very fond memories of her sitting in her rocking chair, praying her rosary. We went to church every Sunday. It was a family event. It was a lot of fun. We were very involved in our parishes in Mississauga. My dad 
is more of a joiner than my mom. So my dad okay. was like Knights of Columbus, the men's league. Oh, and yeah. My mom never joined CWL. There was never any pressure for any of us to okay. be a part of anything. Um, but I, I loved going to church. I was very fortunate to belong to some really beautiful parishes and to have some really beautiful priests in my life. Mm. Um, my aunt is a sister of mercy in Newfoundland, my father's oh. oldest sister. So that also played a big factor in my in my life. You know, I had a lot of great conversations with Sister Maureen O'Keefe. Um, yeah, so that was definitely a big part of growing up. It was a family event every Sunday, and then we would be visiting people. And uh, I started altar serving in grade three as soon as I was allowed. I, I, rem- I remember those days fondly, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was a big turning point for me. You know, my dad would bring me to the masses um, during the week in the evenings to get practice. And I really loved it. And and I think it was in grade five, one Saturday, I served at a funeral mass in the morning. One Mm. of my classmates, his mother had passed away. And so Father Ed asked if I would serve at that mass. And then he asked me to come back a few hours later to serve at a a wedding. Hmm. And it was the first time I really understood what the life of a priest was like and Mm. the life of ministry of walking with people in both very joyful times, but also in very sad times. And sometimes in the same day, having to be a conduit of God's grace in the same day in both of those very different moments. Um, But it was something that really struck, Hmm. struck me and it stayed with me and uh, I was drawn to it. Wow. There's, I mean, there's such tension in, in those two moments there. And it's not to say that as chaplains, we feel okay or good about it, but, or good about it rather, but we can, we, if, if you have the gift, you, you're okay to be in that tension mm-hmm. with the people who are living it. And that, as you say, really is a gift. Yes, it was for me. Um, and then that just really began my journey into Uh, looking at career options. And when I was in high school, I had an incredible high school chaplain, Father Tony McNamara, who's a Carmelite priest. And he was really my mentor throughout all of high school, throughout university, you know, even in when I was a chaplain and I would visit him Mm. when we would have our conferences at uh, Mount Carmel Mm -hmm. in Niagara Falls. And he taught me that a woman's place was everywhere, and that included the church. Um, You know, in grade 12 religion, back then we still had that assignment where you had to get married to somebody in the class. Yeah. And I said, I don't want to get married. I'd like to be the priest. So the teacher sent me down to Father Tony, and Father (laughs) Tony said, okay, no problem. He helped me write my homily and uh, helped me lead the service for the pretend (gasps) marriages that were happening. I love it. Yeah. So he was a huge influence. Uh, on me, you know, bought me Dorothy Day's The Long Loneliness oh, when I was 17 wow. years old. Uh, the Prophet, like Little Gibran, mm-hmm. uh, Dog Hammarskjöld's markings, like, you know, in high school, yeah. mentoring me in this way. So I was truly blessed to have Father Tony in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I would come home from school and talk about, you know, this chaplain I had, and he was at a different parish than the parish we were going to. Okay. So then our whole family moved to the other parish. To be oh, wow. Tony. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, I certainly remember those days in, 
in my parish growing up as well. And they were, um, they were vibrant. I remember my parish as being a vibrant experience. I mean, I was in the music ministry, exact opposite of you. My mom was involved in everything. And my dad just sort of quietly went about his business and, you know, joined us for, for mass and always helped out and, and signed up for things, but didn't join any of the clubs per se, like the nights and such, but it was a big part of our social life. Mm-hmm. And then your friendships, those friendship connections grew out of those same groups. And, uh, I, that, you know, that really was, sounds like we had very similar experiences growing up, you know, having that vibrant priest in in that parish as a family i could see you just you get drawn to that because you just want to go where the life is exactly and there was always so much for the youth to do um, in the church at that time in the parishes that i belonged to we were always made to feel very welcome and the high school was right beside the parish Mm -hmm. Um, and we had a really good relationship with that parish so I think that has definitely formed my own um, ministry in terms of the relationships that I I try to build with the parishes around me. And I'm blessed at Cathedral High School to belong uh, to St. Patrick's Parish, which is the church closest to our school. And of course, it is now an oblate mission parish. Wonderful, and yeah. um, it's been such a blessing for our school community and for the parish. You know, we work together on the Damasino farm, the Damasino door. Uh, it's really a beautiful ministry. And Father Yarek and I have formed a wonderful working relationship. So. Oh, that's wonderful. I, we have my school, Immaculata, is connected to an oblate parish as well. So I, I do I do know um, that that connection can be beautiful and profound. And the support really is is amazing. I was really just thinking back to something that you had said about Father Tony was your chaplain that the teacher sent you down to. Yes. And I just love Father Tony that he just just held you in that space. Instead of saying, women can't be priests, which would have been the easiest thing to do. He just helped you create that space and take on that role in that moment and celebrated that gift in you. And I just... Um, that's really beautiful. Yeah, he bought me a coffee mug that I still have on my desk at school. I might get a little teary telling it, but it actually says on it, a woman's place is everywhere. Oh. And um, he oh, wow. was quite a prophetic voice, you know, ruffled some feathers in his day as well. You as know, a prophet does. As a prophet does. And um, so that is still on my desk at school. That's beautiful. I love that story. Thanks for sharing that. Really beautiful. The the next question is, although we've really been talking about it just in in celebrating your own experience as a student in a Catholic school experiencing chaplaincy and then growing and finding yourself in chaplaincy, but is high school chaplaincy essential? Is it important and why? It is essential. Um, You know, our role as the pastoral presence in the school, it's, you know, we're the only ones who are gifted tasked with that responsibility to our students you know they can come and talk to us we are not administrators we are not disciplinarians Um, we are just there to walk with them on this journey of faith you know my door is always open and they just come (laughs) they come and they talk and you know a young woman I had never met before just last week she came in and she said can I come in and talk to you I said of course you know, what's your name? She sat down on my, I have a purple couch in my office and 
she was just having an absolute, you know, crisis about suffering in the world. And it was about nothing specific in general. It was just, why is there suffering? And I need to talk about this and, you know, God's love on the good and the bad, like, I'm, I need to explore this a little bit more, you know, so over lunch, that's what we, that's what we talked about. Um, you know, just being able to have that space in the school for the students mm-hmm. to be able to come to talk about these deep questions that, you know, teachers are busy. They're not, may, may not have that uh, time to do that. And at home, maybe it's not a safe place to do that either. So right, we are essential and we're also essential in terms of, you know, the role that we play, you know, high school is only four years. We are very transitional, Hmm. but in terms of linking them to their faith after high school to that, this is a journey. I'm just part of your journey for these few short years, but there's lots of other people out there to journey with you when you leave my four walls. And let's talk about that too. Yeah. And hopefully there'll be other, and there will be other doors that were open, just like yours, for the next question or existential struggle, um, that there'll be somebody there to to say, sit down, let's let's talk about it. I was just thinking you captured so perfectly a, a typical day in chaplaincy, because you've got these things, everything that you're organizing, and you've got emails and trying to get connected with somebody, and you've got big retreats coming up, and then someone comes to your door. And you sit down and you have that conversation. You just shift gears and you receive that student in whatever moment they're in in their life. And you just enjoy that conversation. And it can be very moving for you and really helpful to them at the same time, even in the midst of the, the kind of crazy busyness that can kind of take over our day. We still have to be able to be a ministry of presence when that student just says, hey, can I talk to you? Yes, that's the one thing I, I really love about that job. Um, I just never know what's going to happen on any given day. Who's going to walk in, you know, to my office or who I'm going to meet in the hallway um, and what what is going to transpire from that. You just never know. And that's the beauty of it. Um, and every year I say, <laughs> I'm not going to organize as many things because I want to spend more time just with the ministry of presence. I don't want to be running around, you know, the Gandhi peace walk is coming up on October the 7th and the truth and reconciliation week is this week. And now we're planning Halloween for hunger. And it's like, I have to remember the most important thing is just the student in front of me and, right. and being truly present to that person. Cause you might be the only person today or this week that was able to give her an entire lunchtime to just talk about what was on her heart. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And then not next week, because I have my opening mass, but the week after I started doing this a few years ago and I do it each semester. I move my couch to the forum and I sit on it during the lunches and um, I'll bring some either chocolates, candy, sharpened pencils and I have a question jar and I just sit on the couch and then kids will come and sit on the couch and introduce themselves. They pick a question out of the question jar. We talk about it and then they get to pick a treat after. And it's uh, instead of them having to come to my office, I'm trying to come to them. them. That is brilliant. Yeah. So that's been really wonderful. And sometimes three of them will come and sit on the couch, you know, if they're afraid to come one at a time and it's great. 
you know, it's been, so I'll do that not next week, but the week after Thanksgiving, I'll sit down on the forum for a couple of days. That is sounds like such a treat because it would be very spontaneous. You know, they'd be like, oh, who's going to go? Who's going to go sit? And there's nothing prescribed. They just sit mm -hmm. and then this encounter just unfolds. Yeah. And then, you know, amazing things come out of that. You know, miss this person in my family is sick. Would you pray for them? Yeah. Um, that normally maybe they wouldn't have come to my office to tell me that if they hadn't met me yet. Mm -hmm. But they will, they'll tell me that on the couch if I come to them. So... Yeah, so even though we have this space in the school, uh, you found that um, going to the students and in, in, in what you call the forum yeah. is another just another opportunity for encounter, a bit of a, a different kind of safe space for them to, to approach you. Like wow. some, I remember some chaplains always talking about that they would go to the smoking area. Oh. Thank, you know, like, thankfully, there's... Not a big smoking area anywhere, I don't think, anymore, no, which is I a don't... good thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they do hang out in the forum after they've eaten their lunch. And so it's a good way for me to be in their space for them to be able to come to me. That's such a wonderful idea. I get a new wonderful idea from each interview. <laughs> I might I might just do them all and just sort of create this super chaplaincy uh, ministry of presence at, at, at my school, because I, I really think that that's it's really beautiful. I'm sure that it's effective. I hate to use the word, but effective in in certain ways. And and um, I, I, just, I never thought of that. It seems like such a simple thing to be able to do is to go into their space and they respond to that. And then you have just different conversations that you might not otherwise have in your office. That's, uh, mm -hmm. that's really remarkable. And chocolate always helps. Oh yeah. yes. You must have a treat. <laughs> I have to remember that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah There's so. usually Costco chocolate chip granola bars in my office, but uh, maybe I'd have to up, up the ante and yeah. actually have some, some, some really fancy <laughs> chocolates in a jar. I really like the idea. If I do it, I'll let you know. Okay, let me know how it goes, for sure. <laughs> um, what is the sort of core pastoral effect of your ministry? Or what is it that, that you lean into? I mean, we're, we're talking today, the people listening to, to this podcast are in the same ministry as us, so they, they kind of know what we're doing. But we also know that each chaplain is, in, is an individual, has their individual gifts, um, however they fall or align themselves theologically, and we lean into things differently. So what, what is your particular pastoral effect at your high school? So I think there would be two. Okay. Um, I think primarily I am an activist at heart, and I'm an activist because of my faith. Um, again, going back to high school, I had, you know, this incredible... English teacher, Luana Fernandez, who ran our, we called it the Youth for Awareness group. And, you know, she would bring me to um, peace marches in Toronto and we'd protest against the arms race at Armex in Ottawa and also took me to see Mother Teresa when she came to Ottawa in the 1980s. So, wow. um, and, you know, Youth Corps was a huge part of my life and learning about the California grape workers and who the Catholic workers were and, getting to hear Don Helder Kamara and learning about wow. development and peace and just so many things. And I was very interested in social justice. And so that's really, uh, that is a huge part of my pastoral effect mm. is, you know, letting students know you do these things because of your faith, not in spite of your faith. Right. That as Catholics, we are called to have, uh, 
the preferential option for the poor. We are called to use our voices on behalf of the marginalized. And we must do that as followers of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So I run a fair trade coffee house. You know, I've done that for 25 years before I really, was a, a teacher. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And teaching students about fair trade and how that builds up the kingdom of God. Um, you know, so again, I'm taking students to the Gandhi Peace Walk uh, next week, social justice stations of the cross. Um Lots of different activities that way too. So that would be one for sure, would be the prophetic voice, um, the voice of action. And the other one would be absolutely the contemplation. Uh, The retreats are a huge part of my ministry um, in creating that encounter for students to know that they are a beloved child of God. Mm -hmm. And I tell them that often in my morning reflections, like if you leave the school without anything, I hope that you'll leave knowing that you are loved immeasurably by your creator, uh, that nothing you can ever do could separate you from God's love. So that would be my other one. What a beautiful thing for a student to hear on a retreat. You know, the chaos of the day, the morning coming in, and, and if that's the only thing they, they remember after a, a grade nine or a grade 10 retreat, that's, that's really something. Yeah. And the grade 12s, I still run an overnight retreat. Really? Um, Okay. Good for you. Yeah. The retreats that I had in high school were, um, you know, formed who I was for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there was such an incredible encounter for me personally as a different way of prayer. You know, we had mass in a barn, um, (laughs) you know, like praying in nature, uh, seeing, yeah, just thinking about your prayer life, your spiritual life outside of a physical church, right? Right. Yeah. And so giving students that opportunity, you know, we go to Mount Mary, which is such a beautiful facility. It's got it all, right? It's got a chapel, it's got a gym and a hundred acres of gorgeous. Oh goodness. Land. Yes. So, okay. You know, having students go there to be able to encounter God in a different way and leaving knowing that yes, I am loved deeply, deeply loved by my creator. You must get uh, interesting feedback at the end of the retreat. There would be some students who would be skeptical and then um, uh, have wonderful things to share with you at the end, mostly that they were surprised. You surprised them, (laughs) God surprised them. Yes. Yeah, that happens often. So the very last, um, on the overnight retreat, the very last thing we do is in the chapel, we, you know, have a closing prayer service and the commissioning and the teachers will offer a little reflection based on the readings. And then I open it up to the students, you know, okay. if anyone would like to offer anything and that'll come up a lot, you know, like I was only coming because my friends were coming. I didn't think I was going to enjoy this. And, you know, they all say how much they needed it. And Isn't that something? How much they needed it. And just to have those conversations with their friends mm-hmm. um, about God, about their faith, what they're struggling with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the retreats are by far my favorite part. Wow. <laughs> uh, just, uh, are, they, are they optional? Just a, a sign-up optional retreat for the overnight? The overnight is optional. Okay. Yes. 
yeah, the grade nines, we do grade nine retreats um, for all the grade nine students. If I had more time and more facilities, I, I would love to offer them in every grade. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, there, there'd have yeah. to be two of us at every school to at do that. School, yeah. 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 It's a lot to be out that many days, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then we live with the tension of not feeling like you're being a ministry of presence. I mean, I know people listening to this, they, they get what we're saying, but if there was somebody who's not in the ministry, um, there's always that tension. We want to be doing things like you, you you lean into, to, to social justice work. And then there's always that pull, but I'm not at school. And if I was at school, this, and it's, it's a lot of tension that we carry every day trying to balance the doing and the being of our chaplaincy ministry. That's exactly it. I used to have that card uh, on my desk to remind me, I am a human being, not a human doing. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yep. In a nutshell. I mean, because all of the work is important. It is really important to take them on the Gandhi Peace Walk and all of the activities that, that you have planned just in the next six weeks. They're all, imp- everything's important. And it's just only so much we can do. Only so much. <laughs> There's only so much of us to go around. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you work closely with youth. It's, I feel like you uh, welcome them and speak to them and, and listen to them. And I think of where we are at in the world now in 2023. You know, I sometimes worry about the future for them, um, but I hear their joy in the hallways and, and, and how they share things with me. And I was just wondering if you, do you hear hope in their voices? Like how, um, how are they showing signs of hope? I have to say during COVID, um, I was very worried, Yeah, very worried. They were, they were silent mm-hmm. in the, that one, you know, year and a half when they were masked and in cohorts and, um, yeah. It was the eeriest feeling to be in a school that was silent. And Very true. So now to hear, you know, the laughter in the hallway and <laughs> sometimes the odd swear word where I have to, you know, come out of my office and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, to hear the life of the students and the joy again is wonderful. I see hope all around me, Leanne. Oh. Um, I'm a hopeful person. I, I believe that we are you know, moving closer towards God's kingdom, not further away. And I do see that in the young people around me. There are many worries in this world from climate change to, you know, the use of cell phones in their life. Will they ever be able to afford a home? Hmm. So many things to worry about, but they are still living life (laughs) and enjoying life and, and working to make the world better. And so that's definitely where I see the hope. Um, We had a group of students last year who um, decided, you know, we were with the Canadian Jesuits International. Mm, Yes. And uh, last year their focus was on Bill C-261-262. Something like that. Yeah. Um, The the green energy. Green energy and mining rights and the role of Canadian mining companies and workers' rights and all of that. And our students, wow, they just did such incredible work around that bill. They visited their local member of parliament, Matthew Green. They advocated on behalf of workers who are being affected by Canadian mining companies. They told personal stories. I'm at an inner city school in downtown Hamilton where over 300 of our students were not born in Canada. 
so many are first generation, you know, Yeah. but uh, 300 not born in Canada and telling personal stories of things that they had seen themselves and then working to change that, you know, meeting with a member of parliament and having a real meeting and saying, <laughs> this is how we want this bill changed and making all those connections. Like what could be more hopeful than oh, that? <laughs> using their voice. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a member, you know, when you call the member of parliament and, and you get that audience, they, they listen to youth because they're, they're really, you know, quite taken aback by, by how they're able to articulate that. That's really quite incredible. We hosted a youth for others uh, workshop day uh, with uh, Canadian Jesuits International, but we weren't able to to make a connection with uh, with any of the MPs that sort of represented our different schools. So we, you know, we were able to practice a bit, but it it doesn't have the same impact. So that's really quite amazing that your students were actually able to go to his office and he gave you time. What was what was his response to their questions and concerns? So he was amazing. So it was Matthew Green is our member of, of okay. part of the NDP. Okay. And, um, you know, he told them, you know, human rights are not partisan. And he really thanked them for what they were doing, for advocating on behalf of other people, and that Canada should be a leader in human rights. And he tweeted out things that they asked him to tweet. He allowed them to record his conversations with them to use as a training guide yeah, he was so impressed. That's an incredible mm-hmm. meeting that they had. Yeah, it was. And they were ready. They had all their questions. And, you know, he answered them all and was so impressed with them. He's like, this is, you guys, this was better than some of the adults he's met with, you know? Yeah, incredible. Um, it was it was very empowering to his yeah. students to be listened to. So I appreciated that. And this is, you used the expression preferential option for the poor earlier on. And, you know, we can spiritualize that. But here here it is in practice, students um, giving voice to the poor. And in this case, we were learning about um, uh, mining in Congo. And here were your students in, in Hamilton trying to do the work and center these people, the miners, and uh, many of them children, um, try to center them in this conversation with with your MP in Hamilton. That that really is um, quite something. It was. Um, the other place I would like to say that where I see hope, I was thinking about that question, and I was thinking, you know, when my parents grew up in Newfoundland, and that's you know just two generations ago from these mm-hmm. kids, but you know, Catholics and Protestants couldn't even talk to one another, right? They went to separate dances. Like you would never date a Protestant (laughs) if you were Catholic. And I'm thinking, here I am at the school now with 1,450 students, 300 who were not even, you know, born in Canada of every race and language. Uh, I have Muslim students, Hindu students, uh, students who practice indigenous spirituality, students of every Christian denomination under the sun. And they're working together and praying together and dancing together and laughing together. (laughs) Do we have problems? Of course. You know, there's racism, you know, everywhere. But I do see the hope in the young people that things are changing. Things are Things are getting yeah. better. Like I said, the kingdom is coming. It is. Yeah, yeah. and we're moving toward uh, it. We're moving towards yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful, Sue. That really is beautiful. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, this has actually been a very um, hopeful um, 
um, energizing conversation with with you today. And I always like to end off with uh, what's your greatest joy in chaplaincy, but I feel like you're, it's, there's many, we, we could probably go on for hours, but if you could sort of contextualize one or two of like where, where you find joy in chaplaincy, especially since you've been in the ministry for, for so long. So long. Well, this is, I guess, a very chaplain answer, at least. Okay. All right, then. I'm ready. Uh, you're ready. Um, it's really in the Paschal Mystery. It is my chaplaincy, um, just the way that it has unfolded, has a lot to do with grief. Mm. Um, in the first high school I was at, a number of students had passed away. Wow. At Cathedral, in my first 14 months, I had five students <gasps> and two teachers die. And so when you journey with people through those moments, mm-hmm. it shapes everything. My ministry. It Absolutely. Shapes every, it shapes yeah. everything. Um, when you're able to walk with people when they are in pain to not look away to be able mm-hmm. to touch that mm-hmm. pain mm-hmm. And talk with people who are in that pain it is also very graced it's also full of moments of great joy mm-hmm. um and so i would as sad as it is mm-hmm. it is also it is a gift um, to be able to walk with people in those moments so that is my greatest joy. It's a very humbling place to be is when someone is grieving. And I can only imagine what it would be like in such a short span of time Mm -hmm. to, to carry that grief, navigate that grief with a school community. And I think being able to talk to students about death and Mm -hmm. showing them how to, that there is a right way to, not a right way. I don't want to say right. There is a healing way to grieve mm-hmm. and everyone does that differently. And I respect everyone's yeah. choice and how they choose to do that. And it's okay to grieve. Yes. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And to be there for people, but if they've never been to a visitation or they've never been to a funeral, uh, you know, if they've never had a classmate die, you know, how, how do we talk about that person? How do we honor that person? And mm-hmm. we just had a student who drowned this past summer in our oh, opening, goodness. yes, uh, our opening mass next week. Uh, his family will be coming, and the school all knows his family will be coming, and it will be a beautiful celebration. Mm. Wow, what a way to start the year with such a sense of loss. What grade was he in? He was. The summer of grade nine, so oh. he had only been with us for one year. Oh, he was going into grade 10, member okay. of the football team. And mm. yeah, but a lot of friends, very well liked. And yeah. Yeah. Have you noticed since we've sort of reopened and we're trying to get back to some sort of normalcy after the pandemic? Um, I ask it because I have noticed a difference in terms of how we do wakes and funerals now and how like I, I have found it sort of hard almost myself to kind of get connected. Um, there isn't the traditional wake and funeral and um, talking to people about, you know, which one they're going to and trying to encourage kids and answer their questions. I've also noticed that things have become a little bit more private, it's family only. Um, it's much smaller than it used to be. I've found I've, I kind of muddle my way through a, a few um, since we've um, 
return back to normal, whatever that means. Yes. Um, you know, I think during COVID when we weren't able to have funerals, uh, or visitations, um, for a lot of our students, I think that was very difficult mm-hmm. Well, for all of us. It was to not yes. be able to grieve like that and to not be able to receive the support of your community and your family. Um, but now I think you're right. It's, it has become, you know, uh, smaller, no visitations mm-hmm. at all. Okay. Sometimes just a, a service. You're seeing the same thing. And okay. The same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anybody else listening to this podcast would think, wow, the two of you ended up on a, <laughs> on a good note, except that it's just other chaplains and they're, they're, they were riding through this conversation with us and relating to everything we, we were saying. And, and I know that many would agree with what we were just talking about in terms of bereavement and, and grief. And so I think it is a, it's a perfectly um, fine, if not profound way to, to end our conversation tonight. Sue, thank you so much for, for joining me and for wanting to be part of the pastoral effect podcast. Um, I just really appreciate your time and I've uh, been very moved by your stories and um, it's just really been wonderful to connect with you. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Leanne. It's uh it was my honor and pleasure to have this conversation with you. And, you know, hopefully if there's some aspiring chaplains out there. Hopefully, hopefully a few of them will be listening. As you heard from this interview, our pastoral ministry has very real consequences, especially when you're talking about grief and the profound grief that shaped Sue's chaplaincy ministry shows you just how important this ministry is. And you can also see how the early years of one's chaplaincy shape our response and how we lean into things and our level of comfort. We can have degrees and training, but when we go and we look for God in certain moments, it can shape us individually and professionally at a very profound level. And I'd like to thank Sue for her ministry and for the sharing around her ministry of grief that she was able to do in this interview. And as well, I was very struck by her work for social justice and good works that really began when she was a high school student and was nurtured by mentors and role models in her life. And it leads me back to that document that I spoke at the beginning, Building Bethlehem Everywhere, that talks about our profound commitment to work for justice because it's justice that flows from the experience of faith. That's why we work for justice. It flows from our faith. And in Catholic education, we work very hard at teaching the love of neighbor. And that is inextricably a consequence of our love of God. And compelled by that love, We can help young people ask questions about power and wealth and how that serves the gospel. So thank you, Sue, for this masterclass in chaplaincy. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And thank you, listeners. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Pastoral Effect Podcast. (music) 